Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from Brazil and, well, pretty much a lot of news from the United States. Now, I'm recording this ahead of time on Tuesday, May the 17th, so if any fascism happens between now and Thursday, I will talk about it later. However, as I noted in Tuesday's episode, I will be taking a break next week, uh, so I'll have to get to it in two weeks. Starting out in Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, is having to openly deny that he is planning a coup and to publicly tell his supporters not to call for a coup. And uh, you're probably not surprised to hear that that is a particularly telling sign that he probably, you know, is planning a coup or has at least been thinking about it. And he knows that his supporters actually do want one. And, you know, he's trying to, like, deny all of these things, right? That that's what's happening here. This is an extremely bad sign. Moving on to the United States, which, you know, there's a lot of very shitty fascist things that happened in the United States in the last week. So that's what we're going to be for the rest of the episode. The first is some, well, potentially good news. Madison Cawthorn, a close Trump ally, has essentially been removed from Congress uh, because he lost his primary for his uh, representative seat in North Carolina against Chuck Edwards, a Republican state congressperson. Madison Cawthorn has faced several major scandals in the last couple of weeks, primarily related to allegations about his sexuality. Moving on to Idaho, a patriot group in Idaho called the Panhandle Patriots Writing Club so-called because they operate in the Idaho panhandle, has said that they are going to host a gun-oriented rally that is a, you know, like a, a gun rights rally in which they will be carrying guns around during a pride event at a town in Idaho called Kurdelan. Uh, they have specifically and openly called for violence against this pride event at a local GOP rally in Idaho. Uh, this is, you know, a sort of fascist street gang type organization. Um, their insignias and markers are indicators of sort of like biker adjacent neo-Nazism. You know, they, they didn't necessarily have swastikas on, uh, but their garments and the way that they carry themselves and the way that they're talking about themselves indicates that they are essentially a right-wing street fighting organization. And they are at a Republican event, at a local Republican Party event, saying that they are going to protect the people and the town and the children in their town from homosexuality and from queer agenda stuff. And uh, they're going to protect those people, in their own words, with violence. Um, they're saying that they might actually attack people. Uh, this sort of thing is becoming increasingly normal in the United States, and it's unfortunately something that we're going to have to expect to erupt into further and further violence as the years go on. Turning away from the smaller events, the January 6th special committee uh, investigating the attempted coup last year has finally issued subpoenas to Republican members of Congress. This is a pretty big deal. They have sent subpoenas to five House Republicans, including the leader of the Republicans in the House, Kevin McCarthy, uh, the other people who are being subpoenaed are Jim Jordan, Scott Perry, Andy Biggs, and Mo Brooks. Uh, these are all key Trump allies, especially Mo Brooks and Andy Biggs. Um, they were key go-betweens for Trump and some of the people who were actually at the rally and eventual coup on January 6th. 
whereas Kevin McCarthy is, you know, ostensibly an establishment Republican who has been caught up in the wave of Trump and Trumpism and support for Donald Trump. These are people that the January 6th committee knows uh, were talking to Trump on or just before January 6th and also afterwards uh, regarding potential plans for this rally and, you know, potentially helping him plan the attempted coup and the incursion into the Capitol. Potentially, some of these people might have even been involved in, or their staff members might have been involved in, talking to the people who actually did invade the Capitol and, you know, giving the plans and stuff that we know that those people had. McCarthy, in particular, is an interesting person that they're looking at here. Uh, he tried to distance himself from Trump on the 6th, uh, and shortly thereafter, behind closed doors, he was apparently even saying that Trump might need to resign because, you know, he tried a coup and failed. However, he then turned to be back with Trump immediately after the coup, uh, arguably because he was scared of the fallout and the fact that the Republican Party was largely just staying with Trump. Specifically, McCarthy has also said that he might not comply with this subpoena, which would put us in some pretty murky legal and political partisan conflict territory. This is not the first time that the House has issued a subpoena for sitting members of Congress or for other people in the House. However, it's kind of the first time that like this particular partisan situation has been happening. Like an investigative committee essentially run by one party is investigating members of another party because they have tried to use political violence in order to maintain their political power. This is a pretty unprecedented situation, and uh, we don't know how it's going to shake out. Hopefully, these subpoenas produce some results before the Democrats, you know, unfortunately, likely lose the House later this year in November, because that will mean that the committee will stop. Uh, the committee is also saying that they're going to release a whole lot of information next month, uh, so we're going to have to stay tuned for that. Moving on to the biggest right-wing news of the week. It's something that I'm sure that you've heard about before. In Buffalo, New York, a teenager, an 18-year-old named Peyton Gendron, killed 10 people and shot several others at a supermarket, which was in a predominantly black neighborhood. Uh, the shooter, that is uh, Gendron, targeted black people. And um, there's even evidence that he intentionally, like, moved his gun away from white people and actually apologized to them for pointing his gun at them. Uh, he was motivated by racist ideology. He came from elsewhere in the state of New York um, and wanted to kill black Americans. He wanted to kill black people. Gendron was radicalized on the internet. Specifically, he cites 4chan and, you know, other right-wing sources on the internet as the place that he became radicalized during the pandemic. Uh, he specifically cites one of the more right-wing sub-forums on 4chan, which is called Poll, P-O-L. I do not recommend looking at Poll. It is a incredibly disgusting cesspool on the internet. Uh, he live-streamed the event uh, and also provided a manifesto explaining his ideology before he engaged in his massacre. Uh, the manifesto itself was actually partly copy-pasted from the Christchurch Shooters Manifesto, the, the person who um, attacked two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand, several years ago. Now, this is, in some senses, a copycat type event. Um, he is copying the format and the intention and the strategy of several right-wing shooters from the past. 
Uh, he got the example of manifestos from Anders Breivik, a um, right-wing and actually specifically fascist Swede uh, who attacked a leftist youth camp in um, Sweden several years ago. Uh, the other example of a manifesto being used in this case is, of course, the Christchurch shooter, um, as well as Elliot Roger, who is the um, teenager who attacked a sorority in Santa Barbara several years ago. Uh, he was specifically, Elliot Roger, that is, motivated by incel ideology. Live streaming, of course, uh, Gendron got from the Christchurch shooter, who also live streamed his attack. Gendron uh, posted his on Twitch. Uh, he was apprehended live. Uh, he was not attacked by the police, um, and he is going to trial. He has even pled not guilty, despite the fact that he, you know, provided literal video evidence of his murders on the internet, uh, presumably because he wants this stuff to go to trial because the point of his shooting is to be a publicity stunt for his manifesto and for his ideology. It's in order for this kind of attack to be celebrated by other people on the right wing. Uh, we know from the rest of Gindren's manifesto and from other posts that he made on um, various websites, including Reddit and YouTube, um, that he is a he's a fascist. You know, he he believes in the right wing. He is a racist. He's an anti-Semite. Uh, he interestingly has elements of Christian identity. Uh, forms of anti-Semitism. Christian identity is a uh, form of neo-Nazism that emerged in the United States in the 1990s. Unfortunately, Gendron's shooting is not the only mass shooting of its type to occur in the United States in the last week. There have actually been several. Uh, there have been several shootings in Dallas uh, involving nail salons and uh, other places, similar places of business like that, um, at which many people have been injured. Uh, and the people who are running these places are telling the police that these are hate crimes, you know, that these people are showing up and just shooting people. And they're, you know, they're not asking for money. They, they don't want anything. Uh, specifically, the most recent shooting injured three women of Korean descent. Um, the attacker is clearly the same person in that it involves the same unusual vehicle showing up at all of these events. Uh, it is seeming very likely that these are motivated by race and racism. Additionally, in California this week, there was another shooting with racial motivations, a killer um, who was descended from people from mainland China attacked a church, which was primarily populated by people of Taiwanese descent. Uh, the killer espoused clear prejudice against people from Taiwan. Uh, this is clearly a hate crime. It's clearly nationalistic, but it's complicated and as yet uncertain about whether or not this killer was himself right wing or whether he was a racist um, in some other capacity or a nationalist. Uh, nationalism is often associated with the right wing, but is not necessarily the right wing. Uh, it's possible that he could be an extreme leftist who was a nationalist who was targeting Taiwanese people. Now, altogether, these attacks indicate that right-wing and nationalist violence is on the rise in the United States, and we can only expect this rise to continue throughout the next couple years, uh, especially as we enter midterm season in the United States into this summer and fall, and as immediately after that, we begin the presidential election cycle in which we must expect that Donald Trump will seek the Republican nomination, and if he seeks it, he will probably win and therefore be running for president again.
and it is likely that he will not allow himself to fail a second time and might avail himself of the right-wing nationalist and violent support that he has in this country. Finally, I'm going to close out this episode like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, I'm talking about William Simons, the founder of the second KKK. Simons was born in Alabama in 1880. He failed as a medical student. You know, he attempted to be a medical student at John Hopkins, but uh, failed to become a doctor. He turned to being a soldier and also, you know, some like scout type work. He worked as a clerk for several churches. Nothing exactly stuck in his life. Um, Finally, he saw, along with a lot of other people in the United States, a very famous movie called Birth of a Nation, which is a romanticized depiction of the first KKK, that is the Reconstruction Era KKK. Specifically, though, Birth of a Nation occurs during slavery. Um, But it is sort of about like white people retaking the South from a menacing group of black people. That is is the premise of this film. Uh, Like a lot of other people, Simons was radicalized and really loved this movie. And so he decided to reform the Klan, which had uh, fallen essentially into non-existence after the failure of the Reconstruction Project, you know, essentially after they succeeded, that is the first clan succeeded in preventing Reconstruction from um, achieving its goal of equality in the South. So Simons and several of his friends and also some veterans of the first KKK went to Stone Mountain, Georgia in 1915 to refound the clan. There they burned a cross and donned the white robes that would come to be associated with the clan. However, these two things, white robes and burning crosses, were not things that were actually part of how the original KKK operated. They're symbols that the movie used, uh, which the person who made the movie used essentially because they were like good cinema, right? He he took them from other historical sources. Uh, This makes the second KKK like a sort of interesting postmodern facsimile of the original KKK. You know, they're, they're, they're using images from a false depiction of it in order to produce the actual new, much more powerful version. Because the second clan is the one that a lot of people think about when they think about the clan. Uh, the second clan was widely successful and was involved in massive amounts of political violence, lynchings, murders, um, extortion, arson, all sorts of horrible, terrible crimes. Uh, too many to list here. Simon's tenure as the leader of the second clan ended after he had to testify in Congress in 1921. Uh, he and the clan were not found liable for any criminal activity. You know, nothing legal happened to him, but he really lost a lot of face. And he lost a leadership election in the clan in 1922. Uh, however, he remained, quote, emperor for life in the clan because, you know, the, the clan uses a bunch of stupid like self-important titles like Grand Dragon and Emperor and blah, 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 blah. Uh, That was the most important thing that Simons did in his life. Uh, He died this week in history, actually this day in history, 18th of May, 1945. So, William Simons, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson. Thank you, Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Uh, tell friends, family, and comrades about it. You can check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 spelled out in all one word. 
I'm on Twitter at Hist of the Right. That's H-I-S-T of the Right. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Fascism15 at Twitter.com. Like I said earlier, I will have a sort of short little See You in Hell episode next week uh, as I am taking some time off to celebrate my graduation. All right. I will talk to you next week. (laughs) 